Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We're going to have you covered throughout the entire offseason. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Paul Jackson, Steve Lippman, Sean Kennedy, Dave Early, a bunch of talented writers will have you covered for everything from the draft through free agency. And maybe if the Sixers make a big move, we're going to be all over that as well. Joining me, one of the people I just mentioned, Mr. Jackson, Frank Jackson. You've had a couple of days to get go over the loss and marinate a little bit, get some downtime. How are you feeling about things right now that now that we know what the final four teams are going to be in the NBA and it doesn't include the Sixers? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I thought the Sixers had a chance to win, to win that series. Obviously, you know, it didn't really end that way after they tied it up at 2-2. But, um, you know, I think all, all four teams are just better than the Sixers, and that's that's just kind of the reality of it right now. So um, they'll clearly have to make some moves and, you know, it's, it's tough to overcome, you know, stuff to overcome the different injuries to Joel. And then, you know, when you have, you know, we got like James Harden not playing up to the caliber that he's even set for himself this year, just kind of the way it goes. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought there would be more of a second round. Exit. I thought they could beat the heat, but yeah, like I said, it's just, just too much to overcome. You know, when, when Harden's struggling and Joel's and you're not full, full strength. So, um, it's kind of the way it goes sometimes, or as it has it's gone the last few years with the Sixers. Yeah, I was watching that game seven between Milwaukee and Boston. Obviously, the Celtics just just killed the Bucks throughout the final three quarters there. But watching that, I thought the same thing that you're saying. I'm like, the Sixers could not beat either of these teams in a seven game series. Could they take a couple of games? Sure, but beating a team like Boston with Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, the way they all played just defensively and how connected they are, uh, just not on those two teams level at this point, not far off, but not at that level. What are your thoughts on that when you look at those two Eastern Conference teams that were there and obviously now Boston advancing to take on Miami? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at two, it's it's the two most well-connected defenses in, you know, I think in at least the Eastern Conference. I'm sure you can make a case for, you know, Golden State and Dallas, obviously, who are still playing. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, the cool thing about, about it is that like those, those two teams are so well coordinated on defense. Um, they play some similar styles, you know, with a lot of switching and, you know, a lot of kind of, a lot of, a lot of guys are very, very good defensively and not a lot of, you know, weak points in their, in their rotation. So, um, that'll be fun, but it'll be cool too, to see a third different offense for the Celtics trying to, you know, contain, you know, against the, against the nets, it was, you know, Kyrie and KD, you know, sending that help and really kind of bothering them. Against the Bucks, it's the Giannis, who's a you know a superstar in his own right, but a very much a different player stylistically. And now you have this this uh, this offense with Miami that runs a lot of triple handoff action. Jimmy Butler doing his thing is both kind of a creator and and screener. You've got Tyler Hero as an on ball creator, so um, it'll be kind of fun to see how how Boston tackles that new offense and how Miami you know responds. And can Jimmy Butler still find those same kind of pockets of space that he did in the first two rounds? Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be a, a really good series. I, I think Boston would probably be my pick right now, but 
you know, I've gotten things wrong and, you know, in this, in this, this series well already and, and whatnot. So who knows, but I think I, I lean Boston, but I think it should be really, really fun regardless. Yeah. I think, I think Boston Miami is going to be a day defensive struggle between both teams. I, I think sometimes you're going to see the games that are finishing in the nineties, uh, but in the Western conference, I think you're going to have the opposite. We saw what Luka Doncic did to the top seeded Suns coming uh, into the playoffs, obviously eliminating them game seven, 57 to 27 at halftime. Luca had just as many points as the entire Phoenix roster. When you look at that Western Conference series between the Mavs and the Warriors, who do you got coming out of that one? Yeah, that that's tough. I mean, I, I think I got to think about it a little more, especially since you know, we got a couple of more days to to marry down that one, whereas, you know, Boston, Miami's tomorrow on Tuesday. So um, I, I, but my, my first instinct is I, I think I, I lean uh dallas i want to say dallas and seven um i just i think the big edge that i expected phoenix to have last round and i i didn't i thought i thought that phoenix would win six but i didn't think it'd be some you know some you know walkover series i thought deandre and kind of that size and how well he'd been playing down the stretch of the year including the first running as the pelicans would be kind of the difference there you know given dallas doesn't really have a, a traditionally sized center in the rotation but um you saw chris paul start to struggle and then eight and start to struggle as well um, and when they were able to kind of put all that pressure on, on Devin Booker, um, you know, the whole offense kind of dried up. So, um, you know, with, with, with Dallas, not really having that, or sorry, with Golden State not really having an interior scoring presence, you know, their, their two best big men, Draymond Green and, and Kevon Looney are, are defensive oriented and Draymond's offense largely comes from his playmaking. So um, I, I like that there. And I, I worry a little bit about, you know, how it's similar to a little similar to, to Phoenix, right. And that, there's no, they don't have, the Golden State doesn't have that big rangey wing to guard Luca, right? Like you, Draymond is great, but he's not, he doesn't make his money defensively as a kind of a point of attack guy, right? So um, that's kind of where I, I wonder, just like, I don't think Andrew Wiggins is, I think Andrew Wiggins is a, a very good on-ball defender, but I just think he's too slight of frame to defend Luca there. And I think Dallas kind of rangey wings defensively can make stuff happen. So um, that's where I lean, but I, again, I, it's, if I'm picking the match in seven, it's not like I'm, you know, by any means down on Golden State. I just I just like what I've seen from Dallas more this this playoff this playoff run. And I think you've you kind of felt yourself maybe wanting a little more from Golden State at times in, the, in whereas with Dallas it's like they've given you about all they can. And and so um that's just kind of where I lean right now. But I think it's gonna be a great series and um you know it, it'll be fun to kind of see how they go about tackling you know a guy like Seth Curry and Jordan Poole and, and Clay Thompson. So um, we shall see, but I, I lean Dallas right now. That's that's definitely subject to change depending on you know, if I analyze it a little more and whatnot. But that's where I lean accordingly. So I'm, I'm on the opposite end of you, Jackson. I I, th- I think the Warriors take this one in six. I, I think the Mavericks have had a a hell of a run so far. Obviously, you know, looking at um, just the fact they haven't been here since since 2011. You know, when they won the championship with Dirk there, and uh, looking at that squad, I think it's been a nice run. I still think the Mavs, uh, Lucas to me is like, if not the, one of the best players in the NBA, definitely top three to five. I mean, I, I don't think that's arguable at this point, but um, they still need one more guy with them. You know what I mean? I think the Warriors will just be able to use their championship experience, which is a cliche, I know, but I just think they'll be able to kind of figure out a game plan that obviously doesn't stop him, but slows him down enough and puts the onus on guys like Jalen Brunson, guys. Um, who are maybe on the peripheral right now who are trying to come up, guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, who might not be able to deliver. But again, I think both all the four teams left and the, the two series we're going to see are going to be fascinating. Uh, let's let's switch gears back to the Sixers, looking at the offseason plan now too. So there are a couple of dates that are going to be important in the, in the bigger scheme of things with the Sixers looking at 
what happens on June the 1st. Um, Brooklyn has a right to defer the Sixers 2022 first rounder to 2023. Uh, that pick right now is currently at number 23. So if Brooklyn does end up passing on it, uh, the Sixers will owe the Nets their unprotected first rounder next year. If you're looking at this just from an objective point of view, Jackson, I, I was leaning towards Brooklyn maybe deferring this pick, just saying, hey, you know what, number 23, not going to be great as it is. But if maybe the Sixers take a step back next season or they don't end up, you know, at that 50 win threshold, you might be able to jump a couple of spots. But if you were the Nets and Sean Marks, what's your thinking with that with that pick right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? I I mean, I, I, I need to. I need to try to figure out that because I know both these teams don't have a lot of future picks available to them, especially kind of removable first round picks, just given the stepping rule and whatnot. Um, but I, I'm trying to figure out exactly kind of where that stands for each team. But I think if you're the Nets, regardless, you're trying to give yourself the most flexibility, right? Because they clearly have upgrades they need to make to their roster. So like, what does the 2022 or 2023 pick give you more flexibility, you know, given the stepping rule, right? So, um, you know, since the, since the Rockets own the Nets first round pick this year, um, and they have a swap, I think, next year. Um, I think it alternates the next six years, if I recall, to, to Rockets have it, and then the swap, their rights to swap, and then you know, so on for the next four years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would probably take this year's just because you don't know, or man, no, I think you go next year, right? Because then, because like the odds, you know, despite Houston probably being better than they were this year, next year, the odds are not great that the Nets pick is more more enticing, right? So. I think you go next year and you want to just give yourself a little bit more flexibility there. But again, it's, I, I, I should be a little more on top of, you know, that, that kind of the provisions on both sides there with, you know, kind of who owns whose picks moving forward. But um, I would probably go 2023 just to give yourself a little more flexibility there. Uh, again, that could be off base, but that's my read as far as I know. But again, I'm not entirely confident I've read the situation correct. So I apologize if that is incorrect. I'm with you. I think that, again, like I was saying there too, I think deferring the pick just in case, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but we never know with Joel's health, if something goes on, he has to miss 20 games, the Sixers get in as a six seed or something like that. You're still looking at a better pick than what you're going to get this year. So if I'm the Nets, I'm waiting at least one more year because even if you drop a couple of spots from 25 or from 23 down to 25, 26, I don't think that's going to kill you for next year. Again, just looking at this at that point in the twenties, it's a crap shoot. Anyways, you could still get a very good player, but I think if you can improve on that, get into the teens, because we don't know what's going to happen with the Sixers next season. I think that's probably worth the gamble. But like you said, again, if that gives them more flexibility in terms of trading future first round picks, because obviously, like you mentioned, the stepping rule can't trade back to back first rounders over two years. So again, that there's a lot of things to be, to be hashed out there from the nets end. And we'll see what happens with the Sixers as we get close to the draft another big deadline jackson june 29th that is the date that harden has to opt in he is eligible to get a 47.4 million dollar deal for next season only that's a player option reading the tea leaves here and looking around and, and going back to the media availability that the sixers had with everyone the season ender on friday James Harden saying he wants to be here. He's in a good situation. He wants to take the offseason to work on his body, get things right there, and 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 figure things out for the on-court aspect of it. But do you think, like, if you're Daryl Morey at this point, Jackson, do you go to Harden and say, let's just negotiate a five-year deal now? Maybe look at giving him something in the in the ballpark of 30, 32, 33 million, which will save the team some money overall in the long run. And allow some more flexibility to add some free agents, some veteran guys, you know, you're not going to be a big player for 
a you know top-notch free agent this summer they just don't have the flexibility we'll get into Danny Green's contract too because that does have some implications on what the Sixers can do but when you're looking at that from Daryl Morey's standpoint are you going to try and do that with Harden and just say hey you know what let's look at how we can make this work not only for you in the long run you're going to get a little bit more money guaranteed because if Harden hops opts in on this and let's just say has a down year he's going to lose himself a ton of money in the future as well yeah, I mean, I think if you're the Sixers, you're looking to, you know, structure a contract that gives you the most flexibility, especially with the Danny Green news, right? Because, like, you know, we've talked about it at times, like, regardless of how you feel about these starters, you know, the, the Maxi, Tobias, Joel Harden, like, the, the Sixers issue most of the year was they only had four, quote-unquote, reliable starters. Now with Danny Green likely out for the year, unfortunately, you're still at four, right? Like, Danny Green emerges like a fairly re- reliable guy. You know, he had some ups and downs, but like, it was a guy that you could you could bank on to play a 30 minutes a night in the playoffs. Um, you know, was always wasn't necessarily the most consistent, but a guy you can trust. Now, you're where do you go, right? You're, I mean, we know Matisse has his issues. We know George Niang has his issues. So it's like it's a tough spot to be. So you want to give yourself as much flexibility as possible. With Harden, you know, on, from his perspective, you know, I think he, you know, and he's talked about it at different points of the year. Like he really does believe that a full offseason to play, and, you know, and kind of get his hamstring fully recovered would kind of unlock him back to where he was pre you know, final hamstring injury last season. So like for him, like, you know, maybe he wants to just opt in and then and be, go back to those all NBA caliber level level and, you know, remind people that, yeah, I, I am someone who people should say like, you are, you are a top 15 player, top 12 player that we would be comfortable giving a max deal to. So um, maybe that's maybe one season is enough to erase maybe this season, some of the playoff issues that he's had for his, his career, some of the de- their deferential nature of his games in important moments, but um, I think, yeah, from the six perspective, you're looking to kind of, you know, maybe lock up long-term, but not, you know, not commit the full match. But from Harden's perspective, maybe you're thinking that, you know, an entire offseason to get right and, and, and kind of get you back to where you were, you know, where he was averaging 20, you know, 25 and 10 or whatever. and was kind of a fringe MVP candidate before his injury in 2020-21. So um, it's, tough, it's a tough spot to be, but it does, I mean, it does seem like he's going to end up, you know, in a six uniform regardless next year, but I don't know exactly what it looks like. And, you know, as you, as we kind of alluded to and mentioned, like there's a pretty big hole in that start that fifth starting spot now with Danny Green, unfortunately injured and you know, likely to miss the entire year, um, you know, with a torn ACL and an LCL. So, um, you know, it's a difficult spot for the Sixers to be in and, you know, hopefully for Harden and, you know, everyone's safe that they can find a, an agreement that works out for everyone. But I, I do kind of wonder what's, you know, maybe what's, what's kind of giving hard and, you know, the incentive to you know, take less than, less than, less than, you know, close to a max or whatever. But um, yeah, so that whatever, whatever, you know, he did say that whatever helps the team win or kind of advances winning some quote about that. So we'll see, but um, that's kind of my ramble about, about that situation. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Danny Green, you know, obviously dealing now with the, with the, severe knee injury like you're going to miss some time he's already 34 turning 35 next month uh the rule right now what's happening with the sixers they'll need to decide if they want to keep danny green if they do they'll be paying the luxury tax so a 10 million dollar contract it'll become guaranteed if he's not waived by july the first if they have him on the books they're gonna be nine million dollars over the luxury tax so they'll be paying that right now but again i don't i I love Danny Green. I think he's a great player. I think he's an awesome dude when you deal with him just in terms of uh, as a a media member, but not worth having to go into the tax for and especially getting younger and and getting some athleticism. So I hope he gets better. I hope he gets well. But again, I think from a business standpoint, I don't think that makes sense at this point 
for the Sixers. Uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you, Jackson, before we hop into a break here. Looking at the Doc Rivers situation, right? And looking at, you know, the marriage that he had with Harden. Because you look at Harden's numbers on the court during the regular season, the Sixers had an 8.6 positive, 8.6 net rating with him on the court, minus 5.5 with him off of it. They were also in the plus in the playoffs. But didn't seem, again, I'm not saying that, they, that I know this for sure, but there seemed to be a little bit of disagreement maybe on how things should be done. Like remember Harden's game six loss after the Heat, his, his post-game quote there where he was saying, well, we ran the offense, the ball didn't, didn't just come back to me. And I don't know if that was a slight on Doc. I'm not saying it was, but we now know that Daryl Morey has said Doc Rivers will be back next season. He said that on Friday during the media veil. When you look at that whole thing, was it surprising to you that the Sixers already committed to bringing Doc back without kind of maybe doing taking a couple of days to do some due diligence? Or do you think they're looking at it like, hey, we think he's a good coach, obviously won a championship, although it was 15 years ago now or, or 14 years ago, pardon me, from, from 2008. But looking at the fact that, okay, and here's here's one thing. We talked about this too, Jackson, after, after the loss to Miami in game six, that we saw Doc bring out the best in his players when Joel was out of the lineup. I believe they only went three and eight during that stretch when he was out with COVID and, and he had the injuries. And But we saw the team still playing hard. My issue is this, and I will give Doc the benefit on the doubt of this. That roster, again, when you watch, the Bucs and the Celtics play seven games. You're like, they don't have it. Like, they don't have as much as they should to be able to compete with those teams in a seven-game series. But also, I don't think he brought the best out in his players during the playoffs. And, they, you know, you saw the, the the clips, you know, when they were at home for game six there, and he's telling his guys, you know, bring it, bring it. And we just didn't see that energy. So were you surprised at all that that Daryl Morey and the Sixers already have committed to, hey, we're not going to bother with the with the head coaching stuff. We know our who our guy is, and we're going to go with Doc no matter what next season, at least to start. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised on that front. I I, I will say I didn't I didn't think it was necessarily. I, I maybe I don't know if Harden was you know referring to Doc or you know the offense in general. I don't think it was fair for him to say, or not fair. I just I didn't think it was accurate for him to say the ball didn't come back to him because I don't think he really he never really kind of engaged to get the ball back into his hand, right? You know what I mean? So. Um, like he would, he would pass the ball off and then he would just kind of, you know, be a middling spot up threat. Um, but I, I was a little surprised because something has to change, right? I mean, you, you, you tie the series up two two. you're going, you, you know, momentum is obviously a very fickle thing, you know, as, as this series revealed. Um, but you're going, you're going back into Miami where you didn't, you know, didn't play terribly the first two games that you well. And then you just get your butt kicked for two straight games and like, you, you just decide like immediately the day after that, that the guy who, you know, the coach on the sidelines, uh, is coming back. And, and again, it's not all his fault. Like the players had to play better, but like, then are you, you're, are you moving from Harden? Are you moving on from Joel? Are you moving on from Maxi Tobias? Like you don't have a lot of like pending free agents, right? The, like, so something has to change or you got to restructure the rotation of the roster at some point. I mean, you were only going about nine deep. And so I just, I was surprised in that regard, which I just think it means that we are going to see some notable rotation moves, you know, uh, whatever that means exactly uh, in the off season, I'm not sure, but something has to change, right? You, you lose back-to-back -back games in, in that manner, you know, in, in elimination situations, you know, obviously the second one was only elimination, but, you know, winning game five of a two, two series, everyone knows the importance of that. Uh, you know, you've got to change up something about the makeup of the team. And obviously it's not going to be the head coach, you know, based on Daryl Morey's words. So I just wonder where they go. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a little surprising because I think, you know, ultimately a coach's job is to get his players to buy in to whatever he is, you know, preaching whatever his message is and his, his philosophies and 
Um, clearly they didn't really kind of, they didn't play as though that was the case with doc. And I don't want to put too much on doc. I'm saying like, you know, I think, you know, he deserves some, some responsibility, but at the end of the day, the players have to, to play. Right. So um, I think that just indicates that something will change. Something significant will change this offseason. I don't know what exactly that is, but clearly it's not going to be the head coach. Yeah. That was the, the strange part to me as well, Jackson, you look at the fact the Sixers lost six games in the playoffs, obviously two to the Raptors before being eliminated by Miami in, in round two, the games that they lost, they lost by an average of 16 points. And I think that was the, and you know, again, that's inflated a little bit by that 35 point loss in, in game five. But when you look at the fact that the team just didn't have fight and they, they, the way they lost in those games was like, they have no chance of winning. You know what I mean? Like all four games against Miami that they lost, it was like, well, this one's over pretty much by by halftime. You know what I mean? So I think that was the concerning part. But again, giving Doc a little bit of a break on the fact that that roster construction was terrible, right? I and mean, we look at the fact that they had no consistent scoring option off the bench. Obviously, the non-Joel minutes, although I think Paul Reed did fill in admirably during his time in the playoffs. Again, not a ton of options for him to go to. I want to talk about that a little bit more and maybe see, because the Sixers, as I mentioned, are going to be hamstrung by the fact that they don't have a ton of assets. They don't have a ton of things they could do that will open up some space for them in the free agency market. But there could be some options in the veteran, uh, veteran market in terms of getting people to sign for cheap. Let's jump into that kind of stuff after a short break. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks. It can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back, Jackson, talking a little bit about the options that the Sixers can look at in order to add some key pieces. Again, the 2022 first-round draft pick, if the next don't, Nets don't defer, they'll be able to get something out of that, maybe a rotational player. Who knows what said player is going to bring because obviously it's a crapshoot, like I mentioned, once you get to the 20s. Uh, they do have a $6.3 million tax mid-level, so they can add, again, a veteran there. Uh, but I wanted to jump into one more guy before we get into the free agency thing, Matisse Thybul. When you look at his situation, he was useless in the playoffs. I, I'm not being rude when I say that. The guy was terrible, didn't offer much, not only on the defensive end, which is supposed to be his specialty, but on the offensive end, just couldn't hit any threes. Like you've said before several times in the podcast, Jackson, they were basically playing four on five. Do you look at Thibault as a guy they bring back for sure at this point? Or if you're the Sixers, are you just ready to move on? I mean, I think I think you got to move on, right? I mean, like, in, in not... I mean, it would be one thing if he just if he was he was just struggling to play off a little bit. But this is also a guy who, like, clearly he he valued his own beliefs about the vaccine more than his team's success. 
and like in the and they and they like it wasn't you know it didn't end up costing them really in Toronto but like that that says something to me if I'm a, if I'm a decision maker like I I have some hesitancy about this guy like obviously like it's it's one thing to be a, a Kyrie Irving and like yes like Kyrie has his own faults there but like to be a, a star of that caliber it's another to be a fringe rotation guy who already has his own issues to to then just also you know what I mean like just to mm-hmm. also not you know to take the vaccine and, and take himself out of games in, in that sense so all of that combined I just I, I just don't I just don't see kind of the the upside of bringing him back. Like I, I just he wasn't very good this year, given his standard of last year, and was quite poor in the playoffs and uh, and all that. And so, and I think I think there is a market for Matisse. I think like and I don't know if this is how do I for like I think people who don't watch Matisse every day just see some of the scintillating highlights defensively and and just think oh he just needs to make some threes and he can cut and all that like that the idea of Matisse is better than the actual reality of him. And so I think there's probably still some, there's probably a market for people who have the idea of him more than the actual reality. And so um, I think you can at least get something back and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. The Sixers were able to maybe get some sort of draft pick back, or maybe just, you know, maybe a guy who could doesn't, doesn't kind of limit you so much offensively could just at least stand in the corner and shoot three or something like that. So um, I would certainly move on from him, or at least you know be pretty aggressive and see what what the what kind of his market is like. Um, I just I just can't see kind of the reason to bring him back. I mean, you're, you're he's 20, 24 now, twenty five, and you're you've seen very minimal growth offensively. You've seen him do you gotten better as a cutter, and he's you kind of set some good pin and screens and flare screens and stuff off the ball at times. But like I mean, he just is such a limiting player and just isn't good enough defensively. I think that's kind of the biggest issue. So. I would certainly be looking to kind of gauge his his value as a, as a player and you know, kind of see what you can get from him. Yeah, he only only averaged thirty one point two percent from deep in terms of the three point shooting. But hard part is Jackson. He only makes four point three million dollars. So again, I mean, you're you're right. You're gonna have to look at somebody young who might be able to come in at, at, at roughly the same cost because you're not gonna be getting a whole, whole bunch of financial relief either by get getting rid of him. Looking at the free agent mar- market, Jackson, I mentioned they have the six point five million dollar. Uh, taxpayer the mid-level exception there they're also going to be able to sign some cheap veterans if, if that's the way they want to go and, and we've seen i mean we saw the lakers try that obviously didn't work out too good this year but looking around the league some of these guys who are going to be available who are a little bit older now i want to get your opinion on them and just you can give me a yes or no or you can jump into maybe why you think they would be potentially a good fit here's a guy i'm looking at he is not nearly the player he was six seven years ago injuries robbed him a bit of that but demarcus cousins he is a UFA, could be had for cheap. He's only 31 years old, I believe, right now. So it's not like he's he's going to be 32 by the time next season starts. But you look at somebody like him. Is that is he a player you'd maybe want to take a flyer on to come in and, and solidify those backup minutes for Joel? Or are you looking at, hey, you know what? We got Paul Reed on the roster. We like that the fact that he's active. Obviously, has to work on his defensive positioning, not using his hands as much as he does and, and just getting better at not fouling as much. And I, again, I think that's very correctable for, for any player, especially at the NBA level. But when you look at DeMarcus Cousins, what do you think about his potential fit? No, I don't think, I don't, I think he's like a fine backup center. And I think you saw some pretty, you know, worthwhile stuff in Denver, um, and even in Milwaukee before, you know, before he was, he was cut. Um, but I, I don't think he makes a ton of sense for the, with the Sixers for a couple of reasons. One, as you mentioned, Paul Reed, I think, you know, Paul Reed has his issues, but you saw like he got better. I mean, he played for three straight weeks, and it turns out the guy plays for three straight weeks and he's pretty young. He he fixes some of his mistakes. I don't think he was perfect, but you saw some really, really nice stuff from him. Um, and then two, 
I think Cousins is best is kind of what worked well in Denver is that he was like he could play a similar style of Jokic, right? Where he's he's operating from the elbows. He can do a, he can pick and pop. He's a very good passer. You're not going to run offense through him, you know, in 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 Philadelphia, right? You're going you're going to stagger Harden in Embiid or Tobias and Tyrese. You're going to run stuff through them. Um, so I don't love that fit for those two reasons, but I do think he's someone who should certainly you know get a, get another contract. I think he's you know very much a worthwhile um, center, you know, center despite the defensive issues. But I don't think Philly is the easy spot for him. What about a guy like Wes Matthews out of uh, Milwaukee? Again, he's up there in age, but he's available. He's going to be a free agent, might resign with the Bucks Again, I'm not saying any of these guys are are looking at the Sixers at this point. It's so early in the offseason. Obviously, we still have lots of basketball left in terms of the conference finals and finals. But a guy like Wes Matthews, like even if it's not him, but somebody who fits that mold that can come in, play some defense, and shoot some threes because we saw how bad the Sixers were with the second unit in terms of generating some offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think Wes Matthew makes a ton of sense, especially as a guy that maybe slots in as your fifth starter, you know, with Danny Green injured now. Uh, I know that you're probably pretty small you know, in, in the backcourt or on the wings, you know, with a Harden, Maxi, you know, Wes Matthews trio there. But, um, you know, Wes has been kind of inconsistent the last couple of years from three, only about 33%. Was it 30 uh, 40%, excuse me, in the playoffs, smaller sample, of course, but, um, you know, I think you saw what he can do. He was, he was great at times under Martin Rose in the first round. He gave Jason Tatum some issues in the second round. I know Tatum kind of figured it out as the series went on, but, um, yeah, he's a guy I think makes a ton of sense. He's, he's still really, really good defensively on the ball. The Sixers need more on-ball perimeter defenders, make things a little easier for Joel. I think you're going to see Maxi take another step forward there. You saw what Tobias can do in the right matchups as well. So, um, I think he's a guy that makes a ton of sense, but yeah, as you kind of said, I don't know if he wants to leave Milwaukee. I think there was a report that, cause he didn't sign until, you know, halfway through the year. I think he was mm-hmm. kind of, I think there was a report that like he was holding out for Milwaukee to make that call. He's from Wisconsin. Um, he was clearly now played for the bucks a couple of different times, uh, you know, two out of the last three years. So I'd be surprised if he leaves Milwaukee, but if he does decide to you know venture elsewhere, I think the six should certainly be a team that is, you know, throwing, you know, I would, I would throw you know, the tax pyramid level at him. I think he's definitely worth that. And uh, he makes a lot of sense on this team. He's, as you mentioned, a guy that can defend and, and shoot threes and he's limited elsewhere offensively and even, you know, off the ball defensively, but um, there are clear avenues to, for him to provide pretty significant value you know, for the Sixers. Here's an interesting one for you. Austin Rivers had a, had a decent year with, with, with Denver and obviously with, with Michael Porter Jr. And Jamal Murray looking like they'll be back in the fold for next season. He's not going to get as many minutes there. Is that somebody to look at reuniting him with his, with his pops here in the, in, in Philly? I think there's definitely appeal. I mean, he's got, he's, he's a fairly like versatile, he's a versatile all, all, all ball defender in the sense that like he, he can guard on the ball in a pick and roll, but he's also pretty good chasing guys. You saw some of the things he could do against Steph in that first round. Um, but I don't love the offensive fit. He is very much a, a record scratch player in the sense that the ball swings his way. And he loves to jab, jab, and then drive or take a three eventually rather than just quick, quick decisions. And obviously around Joel and James Harden, you need to kind of those quick decisions. So, so a, a, a poor man's version of Harden there with the jab, jab, and shoot the three, Jackson? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another guy <laughs> likes to jab and then take the threes. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't love that fit, but I do see the appeal, especially on defense. And uh, it, it'd be a much cleaner fit, like I said, as if he would just take the threes off the catch, but it's not really his MO. And so I think you would find Sixers fans and whatnot being fairly fresh with, with his offensive approach. But there's definitely some appeal defensively, but I don't, I don't love that fit. Is there any other players who might be a little bit older, Jackson, that you might know of off the top of your head? Again, I know we're so early, like not even close to the free agency that you might look at and be like, oh, okay, that might be some sort of an intriguing fit there with, with the Sixers. 
Yeah, I, mean, I wonder about a guy like uh, like Nick Batum. You know, he's got a player option mm-hmm. for only about three point two million. I mean, if you could throw the taxpayer blue level, would give him kind of a, a double double pay rate. I doubt he leaves LA because LA is going to be great next year, and he's clearly kind of revived his career there. Um, but you never know. Like, I mean, like I said, he's, if you double his salary, like there's you know, there's that's certainly some appeal there. But maybe they re, maybe he opts out and he restructures it with with uh, the Clippers. I don't know exactly kind of what their flexibility is. Obviously, they're kind of already deep in the luxury tax, especially after the the Robert Covington deal. Um, I, you know, I, I wonder about a guy like Pat Connaughton as well. I think he's probably going to stay in Milwaukee, but he's got a player option for about 5.3. Now it's probably not enough of a pay raise to kind of entice him to leave a situation that's been quite good for him. But um, I like that. I, I wonder, you know, these guys, you know, are both unrestricted for agents who are making a lot more than the tax permit level, but Kyle Anderson, DeLon, right. Both made about 9.3 last year. I think both should get somewhere in that range again, which is more than the Sixers can offer, but it's at least kind of wor- worth seeing what they can do. Um, you know, not great floor space necessarily, but I think they give you some versatility on defense, some ball handling. Um, you know, both are you know fairly interesting. Uh, Delon uses his length really well at the point guard position. Kyle Anderson understands angles really well defensively. So, and is obviously a pretty good passer as well. Um, so, those are some guys, the guys that come to mind. But again, I don't, I don't know how realistic it is that any of them leave their current situations or decide to take you know maybe less than what they could get elsewhere to play for the Sixers. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the intriguing part, right? And I'm going to try and get uh, a couple of agents on at least uh, this week to kind of get that perspective, like how enticing is the situation in Philly, you know, knowing that they have Joel Embiid, they have James Harden, they have Tyrese Maxey, that will be appealing to some of these older guys who might be looking at, at going for a deep playoff run and wanting to be in a good situation. I wonder how appealing it would be to join the Sixers. Uh, Jackson, I wanted to touch on this one specific player with you before we wrap things up. And he looked very good through a majority of the playoffs in terms of playing well on the offensive end, on the defensive end. Uh, had a rough couple of outings against Miami, but then you're looking at, and we heard what Jimmy Butler thought about him after the game six win in Philly, is Tobias Harris. Uh, he's going to be making $37.6 million next season. And we've said this a lot. He is still a very good NBA player, but clearly is not worth that contract. And the Sixers are kind of putting themselves almost in that Lakers situation where you got these three top heavy guys who are being paid the vast majority of your salary cap. And then you're kind of trying to fill it out with some good options underneath them. Obviously they're very lucky that Tyrese Maxey is still on his rookie deal. That'll only be just over 2.7 million next season. He's going to command a huge raise as well. But when you're looking at Tobias Harris, is there any way the Sixers will be able to get off that contract? Do you think in, in this off season, I mean, even if they do keep their 2022 pick, if, Brooklyn doesn't defer. They can't make that deal until draft night. So again, nothing would, would really do that. And I don't, I believe I'm correct on this. I might be wrong, uh, but they can't trade an, another first round pick until 2029. So again, I mean, pretty much all useless uh, in terms of anything in the near term to try and add some future assets to that. But when you look at Tobias, he's going to be making just under 40 million next season. Like, is there any way you think that Daryl Morey could get this guy away from the Sixers and and be able to not only free up some room to sign some people, but possibly make some trades as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's impossible at all. I mean, you're, you're running into the final two years of Tobias's deal at this point. Um, obviously, the, the issue is that it's an ascending contract, right? That he you know he went from high, low to high rather than high to low or just a flat rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's tough. And you know he's he's set to make uh, you know next year just about 38 million, which would make him the 12th highest paid player currently. 
maybe that maybe knocks him a little lower. I mean, once we get a couple of max deals in here, someone like a you know Zach Levine or something like that. But um, I I think he is. I think is someone that you can move. Uh, I think you know I, I, the, the most plausible thing to me is like you you throw Matisse Thibel in there and. Like I said, I think people still kind of like who Matisse Abel can be. It's, he's still always here. Like he just has to make layups and shoot threes. And it's like, yeah, like <laughs> if it was that easy, he would, he'd probably do it by now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that's something that makes sense. Maybe even a Jaden Springer. Um, I know we didn't get really see much of Jaden Springer this season, um, but it did some good stuff in the G League based on what I've you know kind of seen a little bit of and, and, and read a little bit about. Uh, Harrison Grimm does a great job, you know, for us at Liberty Ball, I was covering the G League. Um, so I asked something you could see. And again, like, he, he had a pretty good, like he, he made it work pretty well. And once, once, you know, about, about three weeks after the Harden deal, you know, starting with that Nets game where they got, <laughs> they got rollicked, um, Tobias had a pretty good year. So, um, of course that's only about two months of the season, but, um, you know, it was a weird, weird circumstances for, you know, for him and, you know, dealing with some knee injuries and, you know, Sixers are shorthanded. So, um, I think it's going to be tough to move him, but I don't think it's impossible, especially now, as I said, that there's only two years left on it. So, um, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked or anything like that. Um, and I think it, it makes sense to try and move him just because like he fills an important role, right? That he's a, he's a high volume floor spacer, uh, and, you know, can, can guard kind of some of those bigger wing creators at times. Uh, you obviously see his issues kind of defending through screens, but in ISO, he still has some pretty, you know, impressive chops there. Um, but I, I don't think that skill set, and given kind of how low his usage was offensively, you know, once, when everyone was healthy, it doesn't make sense to kind of, you know, be allotting 38 million toward that, right? You can find guys for less to fill kind of some of those roles and give you a little more depth and whatnot. So um, that's kind of my stance on it. I I think Tobias is going to have a really good year next year, regardless of where he is, but I just don't know if kind of that $38.4 million price point, given what the role he has now is makes much sense. Yeah, and 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 again that that contract and it, it it was surprising to me, not surprising because it's Jimmy Butler, but the fact he was just doing that with the cameras rolling, you know what I mean? After the game where he's saying you effing kept Tobias Harris over me, like Tobias, I was just like, damn, that uh, Tobias is gonna see that at some point, you know what I mean? So I wonder how much of a fire that's gonna light under him to come back even better next season. Uh, we'll wrap up with this, Jackson. Would you again? We we touched on you know what the Sixers' options might be with the draft. Again, we'll probably get clarity on that. Uh, in the next two weeks here in terms of if they keep their first round or not the James Harden situation we'll see if they end up negotiating that extension also talked about Matisse but when you look at the bigger picture for the Sixers is there any other move you look at that they need to make at this point or you're hoping that they can make that'll obviously not only do good things for the short term whether that's clearing up some cap space or adding some talent but we'll take them in the right direction towards being a legitimate championship contender next season nothing specific comes to mind uh i do i do expect well i think i expect this team to be better you know in in two months than it is you know than it was this season um i think it's i think if danny green was healthy i would i would be very confident in that because you know daryl despite his issues in season with some trades and whatnot missing the mark on the margins i think he's done well in the offseason you look at you know, trading for Danny Green, trading for Seth Curry, uh, you know, tr- signing George Niang, signing Andre Drummond. Those have all been pretty important moves for them. Uh, of course, like Al Horford ended up being, you know, has ended up being a really good player, but it just wasn't, wasn't going to work in Philly. And so getting a guy like Danny Green, who was you know pretty good for the Sixers for two years, uh, made sense there. So I think Maury has earned kind of the 
like Maury deserves criticism for what some of what he's done in the season and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I think he's he's earned kind of the benefit of the doubt in the offseason in terms of kind of upgrading on the margins. Um, so I expect that to continue. But uh, I mean, it's just it's it's hard to like you don't want to overstate the Danny Green injury, but it is hard to like just hand wave that away, right? Because he was so important to kind of giving them that fifth starter um, for stretches, and now that's gone, and you're you're looking at. You know, a guy in George Yang or Matisse Thibel or Shake Milton or Fergon Corkmas, a bunch of guys that you don't want to play more than 15 minutes a night at most or 20 minutes a night. So um, it's a tough spot, but I but I do think that they can at least work around that. But it's a, it's a ripple effect, right? So I, I trust that they can fill that fifth starter, but can they fill the, 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 the sixth, the seventh, the eighth man and whatnot and kind of give themselves a little more playable depth in, into the postseason? And that's kind of the biggest issue for the team, I think. Hey, Jackson, well, we know they have the ninth and 10th and 11th and 12th spots filled, but I don't, yeah, that's six, seven, and eight. It seems like it was a challenge uh, throughout the season. Let's wrap things up there, Jackson. I want to thank you for joining me as always and, and looking forward to reading what you have uh, going on during the offseason as well. Yeah, happy happy to uh, come on and talk. I'm sure we'll uh, do do more work as the, as the actual free agency period uh, approaches us. All right, that's Jackson Frank. Uh, don't forget. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. You can catch us there. And of course, Jackson, Paul Hedrick, Steve Lippman, Sean Kennedy. I can go down the line. A ton of great writers will have you covered as well at libertyballers.com. <laughs>